0: Welcome to my fourth series of Well I Know Now, the podcast in which I talk to people affected by dementia in various ways. I can hardly believe it's been 18 months since I spoke my first hesitant words into the microphone. So far I've chatted to men and women living with dementia, those looking after them, to actors and poets, artists and musicians, filmmakers and best-selling authors and every one of them has highlighted something new. About the condition and how it affects us all, about myself, about life and what's important in it. I'm Pippa Kelly. My mum Kay lived with vascular dementia for her last 10 years. Her diagnosis came about in the wake of a terrible crisis. And when it did, my family and I knew nothing about the condition. Looking back, I think we've been in denial about what might be wrong with mum. We were worried, frightened and overwhelmed. So we buried our heads in the sand for far too long, a scenario which is sadly all too common. Now, through my writing and campaigning, I know so much more about this cruel set of diseases. I know that it's possible to live a decent, if changed, life with dementia. I know it's down to society, to all of us, to help those with the condition live better, more fulfilled and satisfying lives. And I know that it's often the smallest things that make the most difference. The poet Sylvia Plath wrote, Well, I know now a little more about how much a simple thing like a snowfall can mean to a person. Dementia teaches you this too. On the other side of the microphone today is the perfect guest to get this show on the road. She's a powerhouse, a force of nature, a walking Wonder Woman. Over the last two and a half years, she's covered 10,500 miles got through 10 pairs of boots, 10 hats, 1,000 custard creams, three birthdays and two wedding anniversaries, and single-handedly raised £126,000 and counting for Alzheimer's Research UK. I'm not sure which is the more staggering really, the 10,500 mile trek or the £126,000 she's raised. Either way, it's an extraordinary feat, excuse the pun. Karen Penny has traversed the whole of England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales, including over 110 of their islands. I'm feeling tired already just saying that, but she says walking's in her bones. And so when she saw the effects on both her mother-in-law Alma and father-in-law Kingsley of their vascular and Alzheimer's disease, She decided to put her best foot forward to raise awareness of dementia. And on the 14th of January 2019, three years after Kingsley died, the 56-year-old retired legal professional set out from her home in Pennard on the South Gower Peninsula with a 20-kilo knapsack strapped to her back. Just over a year later, the pandemic struck. The country was placed under lockdown and she was forced to alter her plans, returning home before setting off in permissible directions. The second lockdown disrupted her schedule again and meant that her family couldn't visit her for four months. But nothing was going to stop Karen. And on the 21st of September, which quite brilliantly coincided with National Alzheimer's Day, she completed her marathon ordeal, reaching the Scottish island of Unst, the most northerly point of the UK. Karen says the darkest months were in Northern Scotland. Part of the learning curve has been learning to cope with loneliness, she says. There are days that have been very hard when you wake up questioning, why am I doing this? It's hideous outside and I haven't seen a soul for days. But she persevered, powered on by the support of hundreds of people she met on the walk, some of whom were living with Alzheimer's and some of whom joined her For a few miles. So, Karen Penny, I hope you're sitting down at last and a very, very warm welcome to Well, I Know Now. I am sitting down and (laughs) I'm delighted to join you, (laughs) Pippa. Good. So, first, huge congratulations on your really spectacular achievement. And I was wondering what it's been like for you in the last week or so, you know, to stop walking. How's the adjustment been? I mean, how are your feet for a start? To
1: be honest, it's been difficult. I promised my family that when I came home, I would take good 10 days out doing Mm, nothing mm. just resting recuperating resting the brain as well as the feet stopping thinking you know and two days later (laughs) you know I'd already that was it I was out the door in the middle of a (laughs) monsoon um, (laughs) going for a walk because you just need that bit of space and fresh air Mm, and mm. you know as I said you said earlier on it, it is in the bones and I just can't sit still that's a good thing I think
0: yes you do other things though don't you you do sea swimming
1: i do i do a lot of sea swimming i swim at a swim club here we still don't have the wetsuits on we're still going in in the costumes Gosh, and actually round britain mm-hmm. i've been invited to swim with so many people you know all around the coast of ireland scotland and wales and sea swimming is wonderful for you seven o'clock dip in the morning sets you up for the day
0: yes they do what they call dopping in sweden don't know if you've heard of that
1: I have heard of that. Mm. I have heard of that. And it's, um, you know, it's very good for you. I know you have to take care and um, you get a bit of advice from your doctor before you do swimming and such like, but it's very good for you. And there are studies at the moment, I think, in relation to dementia and Alzheimer's, which really advocate the benefits of there are indeed, uh, swimming as well.
0: There are indeed. Yes, I was talking to, I had Professor... Shubha Banerjee on um, a while ago now, but yes, he was saying he he doesn't know whether that's going to make a big difference, but it's very exciting. And it shows how broadly now and in what different ways we're looking at this dreadful set of diseases to see what we can do about it. You know, it's it's very good. All these different ways we're looking and researching. And when you started your walk. Did you ever sort of think, what was your financial goal? I bet it wasn't £126,000, was it? I mean, what did you think you
1: might hope to make? What, what I hoped to raise was £100,000. And, you know, a lot of people at the time said it was a high bar to set. That is, that does you know, sound they, high, yeah. They did. And because I, I, as a solo walker, you know, I don't didn't have corporate sponsorship. Exactly. You know, it's from individuals that I've met along the journey. It's from the people I've met, the places I've been to people who are so affected by dementia and Alzheimer's, mm. people who care about the challenge. And, you know, the money has been raised by individuals. And that I think that's what's so staggering about it. Mm. And I never expected it to reach £126,000. And, mm. Mm. you know, it just shows you how Alzheimer's and dementia are now viewed by the public. There is so much more awareness now about mm. it. Absolutely. So many people engaging. It was just absolutely wonderful.
0: And I suppose
1: possibly an unintended
0: consequence. I was just thinking as you were telling me that, but I don't know, maybe you had already thought this, that by walking so far, of course, you would come into contact with lots of people. I mean, you were almost like a walking donation machine, weren't you?
1: Every single day, I walk 15 miles, following the coasts, paths, trails, right around the coast of Britain. And there are obviously some areas of the uk particularly northern scotland where you don't see anybody but vice versa you walk the south coast and you know you come into contact with hundreds of people as you're walking along the piers and the and the marinas and people want to stop they stop and talk to you and i engage with them and most days i was receiving donations as i was just walking along
0: Uh, i hadn't really sort of clocked that bit of it which is which is great isn't it very clever actually
1: Well, also, I mean, I was down on the Isle of um, Guernsey on the Channel Islands Mm. and uh, we went over to Herm and an elderly gentleman Mm. joined me for the day. And he turned up with a bucket. And I said, what's that for? (laughs) He said, watch. So off he Mm. goes onto the boat, Mm. speaks to the captain. Mm. Next thing, £279 raised for Alzheimer's research. You know, just from donations on the boat Mm. and, and people looking out for you and telling your story. It's brilliant,
0: isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. It really brings out the best in people, which we need.
1: I honestly can say that the biggest aspect of this walk for me is the kindness of people. That's people looking out for me, people Mm. engaging, people sharing. Uh, Mm. People just are wonderful.
0: That's so good to hear. So good to hear. Now, let's go back and tell us all why exactly you wanted to complete this extraordinary mission for Alzheimer's Research UK. What's the background to it? I, you know, I did mention it in my, in my introduction, but tell us about when you first discovered it. I mean, I think it was your, your Alma, wasn't it? Your mother-in-law and you were having a, some sort of a, a wedding anniversary party or something. Tell us about how it all sort of unfolded.
1: Yes, it was my husband's parents, Alma and Kingsley. It was their golden wedding anniversary and a function had been arranged for them. And, you know, Mark and his father were sitting down, you know, enjoying their buffet lunch and Alma was just standing in the middle of the of the floor with a mm. with an empty plate. And I went over, I said, Are you feeling all right, Alma? And she said, I don't know why I'm here, she said. Mm. And, you know, that was the first, the first real eye opener for us. And obviously, you know, we we then engaged with the medical professionals. After that, and it and it transpired that you know she was living with vascular dementia, and there had obviously been some bleeds on the brain previously. You know this mm. didn't just happen overnight, and mm. it had gone unnoticed. And mm. sadly, her, her condition deteriorated very rapidly. Her whole personality changed completely. She became very violent, very aggressive. And the very sad thing, you know, we now look back on, is that after being with each other for all those years, Kingsley and Alma could no longer remain living with each other because he couldn't cope with her behavior she couldn't cope with him in the house and we arranged for her to, to go into some respite residential care and and the very day she went into you know one of these you know beautiful homes she had another bleed on the brain went into hospital and and sadly died there you know a couple of weeks later so very very rapid um, mm. change for alma it took us all completely by surprise and and that was then exacerbated when shortly after her funeral Kingsley started ringing the house asking what day of the week it was and what the time was and you know I say What well, Kingsley or well, you know it's mm. Monday mm. and then 20 minutes later the phone would go and he'd say oh hello Mark what, what day of the week is it what's the time mm. I just 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 told you dad you know and, mm. and and I think initially medical professionals thought you know he'd been together with his wife for so long and it was counselling that was needed but it transpired it was a dementia, which was ultimately diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and Kingsley lived with that for the remaining sort of eight, nine years of his life. So um, it had a huge impact upon our family to have both of your loved ones living with this disease at the same time. We, that's, I say we, I, I do the walking, my husband is the grand organiser. Um, you know, we wanted to do our best to raise more understanding, more awareness, and mm. more funding for Alzheimer's research.
0: Well, good for you. You've certainly done that
1: it couldn't have gone any better i wouldn't have changed a day of that walk to meet the most wonderful people that you come into contact with that's those people living with alzheimer's people who write about alzheimer's people who appear you know on radio shows and talk about mm. living with it to, to explain what it's like for other people yes, you, went, before, you met wendy mitchell didn't you i did
0: she's she's just coming on my podcast actually i've just interviewed her and uh, wendy for anyone who doesn't know is a best selling author and happens to live with dementia.
1: I loved Wendy. I mean, she's a gentle, gentle soul that mm, she is. Mm. And she came out to meet me at Benton in New Yorkshire at the RSPB. And you know, it's it's like I'd known her for such a long time. We just sat there and chatted. For hours and you know she always says it's her dream to to walk around Britain and it's her mm. aspiration and I loved meeting her and it's been fantastic actually you know engaging with her engaging with her daughter yes. and, and all the people that she knows um, it's mm. opened up a whole new chapter for me
0: mm, mm. she is gentle but she's very wise isn't she I, oh, I she's, find she's talking amazing. to her yes absolutely but that's you're being so positive about it but Let me take you up to the north of Scotland when it's absolutely tipping down with rain. You haven't seen anybody for days. You're wet. You're chilled to the bone. And I know you said that loneliness, in a way, was one of the most difficult things. It's a sort of psychological ordeal, isn't it, as well as a, a physical one. How did you deal with that? Because you're making it, you know, and I'm sure that bits of it were wonderful, but... Tell us about the really difficult times and how you got through them.
1: There were very difficult times. There's no question about it. I always try to maintain a positive social media page and such like but I think it's, you know, you have to be uplifting when you do something like this. Nobody wants to hear bad news and all woe and such like all the time. It's
0: interesting to know
1: psychologically how you cope. Yeah, there's a huge difference between loneliness and solitude. And there's no question about it. There were definitely days when I liked being, by myself walking in this beautiful country that we live in right out in the wilds it's good for me it's good for my mental health it's good for, for for everything but similarly you know my husband and son came up for the first christmas up to the north coast of scotland and stayed for a few days and then before new year they went home and you know i'd had literally two you know christmas day and boxing day with them then they were off home because of employment and such like mm. And you're you're there on your own. Mm. And, you know, it's the festive season for everybody and families together. You know, it's incredibly difficult. And, you know, my husband shed a lot of tears when he left. And he's not, he's quite a stoic character. And for him to do that, you know, that sets me off then and then you think about you you just start doubting yourself as to you know why are you doing this why are Mm, you putting mm. your family through this yes that's a
0: big that's a big question in itself isn't it because you've got to make sure they're also signed up
1: to this it's a big impact on their lives It's a huge impact on their lives. The fortunate thing about my husband and myself is that we have a fantastic relationship. And actually, Mm. when you have these foundation blocks of a good marriage, Mm. when you do something like this, it only strengthens it. Mm. You know, the difficult part of it was that my own parents are in their early 80s, Mm. you know, and whilst they're very proud of you, they also want to keep you safe and they want you home. So you have that constant sort of like, when are you coming home? When mm, are you coming mm, home? Mm. You know, how long how much longer will you be? Um so yes, it is very difficult in that respect. And, you know, we're talking about the sort of the physical aspects of it in terms of getting into your tent every night I had a tiny little solo tent it's not one you could sit up in a chair in and you know uh, read a book it's one you you crawl into at the end of the day you just about have enough headroom to get into a sleeping bag Mm. and then from four o'clock onwards when it's dark you're in that tent until daylight which is could be seven eight o'clock in the morning if Mm. you go to bed soaking wet, you put all your wet clothes back on, and then you head off again the next day. And what honestly keeps me going is receiving messages of support literally from thousands of followers that you do generate as you do a walk like this, people who are really interested in what you're doing, people to keep an eye on the weather forecast for you and said, look, you're heading for some poor weather, mm. you know, letting you know what's going on. And then when it's really dire straits from my point of view, mm. I ring people, that a very succinct, a lady who lives with dementia and, you know, I give her a ring and she said, are you all right, Karen? And I said, yeah, I'm just struggling at the moment. And she said, don't forget, she said, you're doing this for me. And the minute she says oh, that, gosh. it just... Put is that Susan Strachan? perspective. It is, yeah, mm. Strawny. We all call her. Oh, Strawny. Yeah. Susan Strachan. Yeah, she's mm. just. She is a force of nature. Mm. So articulate, so well spoken, and so very passionate about everything. And, and I've rung her a couple of times, you know, on the walk, and and I've benefited so much from speaking to her.
0: Mm. That's a great thing to say, actually, isn't it? In that context, because I'm sure that really does give you a you know, it spur you on, as you said. It does. Yeah, it
1: fantastic. Puts it, it puts it into perspective. It it, 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 it makes you realise it's not all about you, as in me. It's about other people. It's about Wendy. It's about Sue. It's about like Peter Berry, who I met down in mm, Suffolk. You know, mm. you who's know, written books and, you know, came out to meet me down there. It's about people living with dementia. It's about all the people that I've visited in care homes who live with Alzheimer's and dementia. It's about all the carers that put so much love and care and patience into caring with people with dementia. It's about all the families that kind of have the responsibility to look after their loved ones and, and the support that they need on the journey as well. And, you know, when you put that into the big picture, it's no wonder that I was always smiling and so happy every day. <laughs> well, I think remi- it's
0: so- remarkable, though you're remarkable. Because it must <laughs> have been tough.
1: Did you ever get ill? Actually, there was one time I got ill, and that was eating a piece of salmon. I was thinking which, you might have you know, caught said, a cold, you know. Yeah, you say you're putting a-
0: on wet clothes and...
1: Exactly. I just had a little bit of food poisoning and uh, rapidly lost half a stone in weight, uh, which I soon made up for with the you know the thousands of custard creams, <laughs> yes, <that's... laughs> which fuels my journey around Britain.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Yes, I like that. Is it just custard creams? Then or are you a partial to any other biscuits or?
1: Do you know, it was, you know, meeting a family down in Cornwall mm. and, you know, the treat for the kids in the evening was three or four mm. custard creams and, you know, what a biscuit that is, a lovely Victorian biscuit. <laughs> it used biscuit. to be my favourite,
0: actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Wonder- and it doesn't matter if you sit on them, you can still eat them. You should get a
0: sponsorship <laughs> next time you do it from the custard creams. Should- I don't know who made them I- now, you know. But, yes, tell me about Mark, your husband. I know that he was retired, isn't he, as well as you are, f- from the police force?
1: Yes a retired police officer. And, you know, actually, from that point of view, it meant that he certainly had a lot of time to do all the day-to-day caring. The the trips around to the house were very independent. Kingsley never wanted to leave his home. And that was a real struggle for Mark to deal with because it got to the point where Kingsley could no longer live on his own. He wasn't eating properly. He was deteriorating very rapidly. And he'd asked Mark to promise that he would never make him leave his home and it was something that you know mark had to make that decision um ultimately um he did need to go into care and that is one of the difficulties that you have when you have to make decisions for your parents for oh, close people in yeah, your life
0: absolutely it's incredibly difficult isn't it you feel such a weight of responsibility
1: well he always regrets that you know he went against his dad's wishes but, but what could but he have done he had carers going in three times a day but you know the carers could only present food they can't they can't make somebody have food and Hank Kingsley had just lost the inclination to eat at that time so there was a suggestion that he would have to be sectioned under the Mental Health Act with a view to to having him you know to, to leave his home unfortunately Mark was able to sort that out and you know Kingsley went into hospital initially this was way back now in 2000 and sort of eight 2009 and he he remained there for a long time until mm. placements mm. could be found for him and then eventually he got into, into specialist care and it, it ultimately it was only a mile from us and we were able to visit I certainly went up three or four times a week Mark mm. would go mm. every day mm. but he didn't recognize us um in the last couple of years of his life at all he had no recognition at all
0: mm. yeah same with my mum absolutely the same and that's so difficult isn't it as well for Mark
1: I think his father was, you know, an intellectual, uh, you know, a very good speaker, so engaging and loved being outside and, you know, he, he spoke eleven languages fluently. Golly. And all of That's that was just disappeared and I think Mark said to me what I have subsequently been told on my walk by so many people that he lost his father twice Yes once when mm. he had the diagnosis mm. and eventually when he passed away and I think mm. you know Mark's recollection of his father was is that the last couple of days of his life a minister went in to see Kingsley in the care home and asked for some a short time with Kingsley and you know Mark was really comforted to hear his dad singing the old Welsh Baptist hymns mm. with the mm. minister because it's the tunes, it's the music that remains there for so many people, and yeah. you know that was quite heartening f- from mark's point of view.
0: Yes, that's lovely that's, that's wonderful that he was able to do that at least gives Mark some comfort it was mm, mm. and your son, you've got a 30 year old son George, and I know he was a big sport and walked a bit of it with you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He was hilarious. My son is six foot seven tall, and um, you know, gosh. 30, thirty years old. And he said, "Oh, Mum, I think I'll join you on one of those lovely Scottish islands. Which one's that, then, George? Oh, I'll come to Mull with you, Mum." So, off he comes out buying all the new gear, you know, all the mm. tent and, and mm, everything. of mm. the night, got the tents up in the wood, and he goes, "Mum, Mum," I said, "What, George?" He says, "There's something furry crawling <laughs> around my tent. Am I supposed?" Get it out, George. You know what he says No, Mum, it could be a ferret, they can kill you. So there am I, you know, fifty-six, pouring with rain. How tall are you? There. Oh, not that tall. No. five foot eight. I know exactly. I, I was down
0: just to trying to... <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to get a picture, the two of you, you know, this enormously tall young man, and then yeah, a fifty-six year old, much shorter woman. Not that you're short, actually, you're a tall woman, but compared exactly. to your son. But... How funny. And he was scared of some cre- creepy crawly. What was it?
1: It was a black feral kitten sitting in his boot. A kitten? You know, it just come in from the rain just for some shelter. And, and that's all it was. And I've had a field day on it, speaking to all the kids in the schools yes, about this kitten I climbing bet. in the tent. And George has been like totally humiliated, love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so the next time I saw him, uh, he came up to the north coast of Scotland with my husband and f- for Christmas. And then, you know, I was really delighted that both Mark and George were able to join me on the last week of my walk, coming back to Shetland, because I'd already walked so much of it back in March 20, but they were able to engage in the last final week with me, which was wonderful.
0: Must have been very special that last week.
1: It's an incredible place, Shetland, as I suspect a lot of people have been. It's a unique place, very solitary, very windy, very quiet. Mm. It's stepping back in time mm. and the best place to finish this walk. It, things couldn't have worked out better. And, you know, as I stood there opposite Muckleflugger Lighthouse, the most northerly point in Britain, it's on the same parallel as Bergen in Norway. Mm. I was standing there and I thought, what's that? And it was an otter <gasps> running hell oh. for leather across the top of the cliffs being chased by a sheep
0: <laughs> <laughs> brilliant yeah so you they were with nature exactly mm, mm, mm. and mark your husband did all the planning really didn't he he's the as you say he steers the ship he's the sort of
1: power behind the the walk <laughs> he certainly is i mean mark loves the chat so he loves engaging with people you really find it very enjoyable plotting all the routes we plot on the alternate survey maps and such like so it have the route plotted out the route would go up every week on social media and that would give people an opportunity to see if they wanted to come and join me for a few days or a few hours or miles and, and that's what happened all the way around britain and, mm-hmm. it, and it's a result of you know the mark getting in contact with local newspapers local media groups letting people know that you're coming it's a huge job and relentless because you know every day he'd be receiving 20 to 30 messages and it was just physically impossible for me to be able to dealing with that all day Mm. because of the signal reception not having the the phone which was my lifeline really out answering messages and getting wet and then breaking down so to have that support was just absolutely invaluable and Mm. he absolutely loved it
0: Mm. and you had some really good coverage didn't you i mean you were on the bbc national bbc television.
1: You know, I never expected it. And the day before I left, we had a phone call from Manchester asking us to go up and be on BBC Breakfast with Louise Mention mm. and, and uh, one of the other presenters there. And, you know, we, we went on, on air and I turned my phone on afterwards, and about two or three thousand people had added themselves to my Facebook group, the Penny Rolls On, to follow mm. the journey. Mm. And then we were able to speak to the Reverend Kate Botley and Jason Mohammed on the Good Morning Show on Sunday. And then when we went to Ireland, Very unexpected. RTE one, which is Mm. the way Darcy show, Mm. got in contact and followed my journey all the way around Ireland. And as you move on, you know, word of mouth spreads and then people know that you're coming because some people don't like social media, but for a charity walk and for coverage and such like that's that's absolutely essential. Mm. It's how Mm. do people know what you're doing? There's Mm. no point walking around Britain with your head down and Mm. not Mm. engaging with people. Mm. You know, you need to do the very best that you can. And I think I've probably been into over 100 schools, probably 100 care homes. I've given talks to the Rotary Clubs, Men's Sheds, WIs, all the local radio stations and um, and BBC because it's, it's important and it just keeps getting the message out there. And even if somebody listens to it and they think, well, Alzheimer's Research UK and they just remember that it's something that's ingrained there and and maybe next time they do something they might want to engage with the charity or they might want to give them to to ring up for some support or or whatever so Mm. you know it all. it's enormously
0: important I mean it's much more than the money you've raised isn't it it's this awareness awareness. Mm, which is incredible and you did very very well with the with the media you know appearances and that reach of television is huge i mean social media is huge but television is you know and you get the pictures as well and that and the power of a national television appearance is great
1: you know it's unbelievable. You, it, is, it is yeah so that
0: would have that would have really helped you in uh, gathering the momentum for the money you raised so and now you're going to do more talks and things aren't you and uh, you have a book planned and also very exciting you have another walk planned
1: I do. Yeah, what I'm doing at the moment is I'm going through and editing over 40,000 photographs that I've taken of my journey, which people really engage with as well, because so many people have lived you know, in lockdown and have been worried about leaving their homes and such like. So, you know, I've been able to bring sort of Britain into people's homes for them to view all the wonderful places that we live in. I'm writing about the experience, which is a unique experience of the people I've met and the places that I've visited. And also next year, in April, I set out again, this time to walk with the county boundaries of yeah, Britain. Lovely so idea. it's very different. My intention is not to be away from home this time it's to be with Mark he will be coming with me so we would let's say for example hypothetically we walk around Pembrokeshire that may take three to four weeks including the coastline and then we come home for three or four weeks and do some work on the editing and and organising and giving talks and such like and then going back out and doing the same then with, with another county and at the he- same time hopefully sort of launching the book and you know, visiting and talking to schools in the areas that we go to, keeping the message alive. Really, it would be a shame to have done all of this work and gained all this momentum, for it just to sort of stop and think. Right, that's it. I've done my bit. I'm not doing anymore. That's not what it's about. It's about continually creating awareness for Alzheimer's research, continually fundraising, and you know, doing the very best that we can to remember Alma and Kingsley, who left us just too soon in their lives.
0: Mm, mm. It's fantastic hearing the energy in your voice, actually. And I was just wondering why you decided to change the format like that. Is it all bound up in the book and promoting the book, and/or did you decide you wanted to do it with Mark, or what was the thought behind the change of format there?
1: My parents, it is. They're both um, they're both in their eighties. It's been really clear for me being home. I've spent a lot of time. You know, with them, um, helping them decorate and such like, helping them to do the day-to-day things. I can see in them they've aged while I've been gone. Mm. Um, they, well, we've all lived through we've
0: all lived through COVID, of course. I mean, you cannot have planned for that. That really, I haven't I haven't mentioned that, but actually, before we s- sort of talk about the future in your book and the thing, maybe we should just talk about that because that really disrupted you, didn't it? It meant that you did go without seeing your family for much longer than you might have done.
1: It was a huge, huge impact because I couldn't have been further away from home when COVID hit. I had arrived in Shetland and I'd already walked around the whole of Ireland, most of Scotland up into Shetland itself. And when I arrived in early March 20, it was the first murmurings really of this pandemic and nobody really knew what was happening. And as I was you know, walking the island from very good support there and the lady who helped me the most Came out one evening and she said, You know, we need to be thinking about getting you home. Uh, and that was the next big thing. And because it's not that easy to leave an island, mm. just like that, there was mm. a storm, mm. which meant I couldn't leave for a couple of days. Um, and then there was heading back across country. And, you know, coming back into Aberdeen was really quite scary because when I'd left, everything was normal. When I left Aberdeen to arrive in Shetland, it was normal coming back. There wasn't a soul on the streets. The trains were empty. Mm. There were Mm. people wearing masks, which I hadn't been used to. I mean, lockdown hadn't kicked in at that time, but people were certainly getting ready for it. And Mm. together with good friends that I've met on the journey, they had a relay of people helping me to get back safely to Wales. And then I was home about five days before lockdown eventually hit. And that was quite an impact in terms of me because I'd been on the road for 15 months literally every single day walking living outside and all of a sudden you know your your home very stringent conditions about only leaving the house for 30 minutes a day necessity shopping only it was such a complete you went from
0: one extreme to another didn't you
1: Massively so. And fortunately, there was a lot to deal with when I got home. It was it was lovely being home. It was lovely being back with Mark. And the time went very quickly. But I found the second lockdown hmm. incredibly difficult. This time I'd reached another island, which was the Isle of Wight. And, you know, the BBC had done some filming and there was a lot of publicity about the walk. And then the very next day... Whilst out walking on the Isle of Wight, I had a phone call to say that Boris was about to make an announcement. And he did that afternoon. And and it was very short notice this time. It was Monday, it's lockdown. And I was able to leave the island the same day and get back to Wales in time for second lockdown. That time it was, you Mm. know, five months. Was that that the
0: autumn of 2020 then?
1: Yeah, so that was November the Mm. 1st, Mm. 2020, right through until April 2021, because of course you know the other part of the walk is making sure that you comply with all the national guidelines in terms mm. of yeah you're walking in and out of
0: different uh, jurisdictions, aren't you? Yes,
1: exactly. So one day you could be in tier one, next day you could be in tier two. All oh, the tiers, a... yes, yes. About the tears. Do you remember? Yeah,
0: I do remember. <laughs>
1: So, you know, I was quite lucky I was in the Southwest coastal path, but as I got nearer and closer to Bournemouth, you know, people were saying, actually, you're coming into tier two now, there's different regulations, and uh, London was tier four. Mm. and So Mark was trying to keep up with that all of the time as well. And that, you know, like the Channel Islands, provisions change daily. And so it was a lot of work for him. You know, you forget about it now. Time's moved on, hasn't it? It's amazing how quickly you do. I mean, I had forgotten about
0: the tiers. I think we block it out, actually, because it was also... Strange,
1: surreal, wasn't it? It it really was. I mean, you just at, at no time did I ever think that when I set out on this journey, that I'd be you know literally walking through a pandemic and mm, carrying mm. a rucksack full of lateral flow tests.
0: You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, they, you know, they they weren't they, on your original list to pack. <laughs> golly along (laughs) with the blisters they are
1: now minus the cardboard containers you know they Mm, all go into mm, one bag and mm, they're very light which is fortunate mm, mm, so um Mm. and 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 it was and it was good from the people i met point of view for me to be taking them and similarly you know vice versa so it was essential
0: but i suppose because i was thinking did you ever actually get invitations into people's houses when the weather was bad and of course that would inevitably stop during the pandemic but did it happen before the pandemic and has it happened afterwards you know if or did you say you can't do that? Was that one of your rules? I don't know.
1: No, no, I didn't have any rules like that. My intention was when I set out, I didn't even assume that anybody would ever say, come stay with me. That never even crossed my mind. I just assumed that I would be putting up my tent every night and sleeping in my tent. And I think after 10 days of walking, I'd reached Larn in in South Wales. And it was torrential rain. And a farmer had come out to find me. And she pulled up in her Range Rover and she said right come on jump in you're coming to stay with me in the farm I said oh no 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 you know I'm fine and she said look she said can I just give you some advice if people offer help then just just take 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 the help Mm. because you can't do it by yourself and I thought and it wasn't stubbornness I just didn't want to bother anybody I didn't want to be a nuisance you know and I stayed that night and she had the tent out of the bag in a second drying the boots were clean the washing went on a hot dinner and a bed and that was enough to keep me going then for the next five or six days and then of course Mm. you get to Ireland well have you met the Irish
0: I am my name's Kelly you know I am I am about a quarter Irish yeah they're they're pretty hospitable yeah bit of crack (laughs)
1: Oh, just wonderful. I mean, the whole way around Ireland and, you know, I came back to Wales thinking, right, you know, it's back onto the coastal path now, head down and back on with it. And it was like every single day the the WI would come out or schools would come out and join you, oh, the army. Mm. The ambulance teams, the fire officers, you know, so many different walks of life. And it did all change after COVID. After COVID, there was a lot of regulations and rules, again, which I've always complied with. It wasn't until May the 17th, for example, that you were allowed to go into people's homes. So how people would deal with that would be, right, OK, I've got a tent. I'm going to put it up in my garden. It's much bigger than Karen's tent. She could stay in there the night. Mm. I've got um, an empty disused camper van which I keep on the orchard mm. she doesn't have to put a tent up she can stay there I, on the Isle of Wight I remember embarking on the Isle of Wight and putting the tent up at the bottom of the garden it was still icy in the morning when I put the zip down and when I woke up there was a tablecloth outside with weetabix on some toast cup of oh, tea golly. you know so your buffet still... breakfast yeah but people were still looking out looking for you up, I even think, yeah. even with the regulations people yeah. were still outside finding shower a way.
0: finding a way gosh yeah. you
1: know flagons of hot water left for you people sort of driving past and handing you out a sandwich and such like shops weren't open for starters a lot of shops I couldn't go onto any campsites because um, I wasn't allowed to use the facilities there. Not me personally, but as a tent owner, you needed to bring your own toilet facilities onto site with you because the shared facilities weren't available at that time. Oh, so, of you know, course, of I couldn't course. go onto campsites and things. So then, you know, you're relying upon public conveniences to use and, and they were few and far between. So, you know, your body does become conditioned to that. But now looking back on it, my husband said, oh, my, I couldn't do it. I could not have a hot meal and a shower every night, he said. Mm, you know, mm, he couldn't do it, but mm. I can. Your men, honestly, do, your men, Karen. Your men are... <laughs> he, he does, you know, he looks faint if he hasn't eaten, you know, <laughs> you know the type. <laughs> <laughs> we women are so
0: strong, aren't we? Um, no, I'm, I don't really mean that, but um, or perhaps I do. Uh, but how absolutely fantastic. I mean, your book's going to be so uplifting, isn't it, because... Are you going to talk about all this, or is it just going to be the yeah. picture?
1: It's a narrative book. It's about the positive, uplifting, quite humorous as well. I mean that you know it is. To, you know, for example, you go to Ireland. My husband's run a campsite. Mm. Uh, yeah, by all means, she can come and put a tent up on the campsite. You know, on the campsite. I get there, and it's like, no, you're staying in the house with us, right? Okay, <laughs> lovely. And would you like to come out to choir practice tonight? <laughs> oh. Yeah, lovely. Okay. So I'm sitting there, and seven o'clock's gone by, and eight o'clock, nine o'clock's gone, huh? ten o'clock. What? I said, Margaret, are we going out? Huh? You know, to quiet? Yes, we'll go now, she says. So we drive into gosh She leaves the car, keys in the ignition of the car, of course. I gets out and walks into the pub. And in the pub, <laughs> there's the choir waiting, 40 of them, and they all sing a song each. And we're there until three or four o'clock in the morning <laughs> singing songs. So I'm thinking, I've got to walk tomorrow, you know. I've got to walk in the morning. How's this going to happen? You know, and it's things like, it's that, you know, wonderful experience that you get every day of meeting people. And unexpected, you'd never know what to expect. I was in, on the Isle of Jura, one of the Scottish islands. And um, I'd helped a lady on the ferry who was disabled. And later on, you know, walking around Jura, their car pulls up and they said, would you like to pop up to the house and have some lunch with us? It's the same lady and her husband. Mm. Transpired. It was Lord and Lady Vesty, the Queen's horseman. And I ended up staying the night there her learning so much about the island, mm. the people who live there. Mm. It was such a wonderful experience. So very engaging. And, and one minute you're there and then the next day so you're different. staying with crofters. Yeah, mm. completely. Crofters. You were mm. the, rig- mm. the oil riggers, musicians, the artists. I've slept on boats hammocks in boats, bird hides, I've slept in barns and um, you know it's just been every single day I never knew where I was going to end up and it was all very very unique so that's what the book is all about and just, have you got a, a publisher bookies. I
0: think they'll be after you like
1: no, I haven't yet. I mean, it's like I'm trying to get the photographs first and then I'm doing some speaking as well. I say speaking, the local Women's Institute groups, here's the oh, schools I'm going you've into. You've got such a and... story to
0: tell. It's
1: a fantastic <laughs> it's one. I mean, literally walking into
0: the unknown sort of every day.
1: Every single day.
0: Is it possible to pick out, it probably isn't actually, but, you know, like a, a couple of highlights or one highlight or are they, they, they sound so different that that's a virtually impossible question?
1: I think it's every every country's different. There's never been a day where I thought, oh, what a dreadful day that's been. Mm. I never want to see that day again. Mm. That's never happened. But I think from my point of view, to be in Scotland in the winter, to be walking in the hills there with your rucksack on your back and it's snowing and you turn the corner and you just see this stag standing there, huge red stag standing oh, there looking beautiful. at you. Mm. Um, and you've got mm. that lovely low sunset and that beautiful light, and you just think, "Wow, this is what it's all about." And it just gives you such a spring in your step. Mm. From my point of view, it doesn't matter that I'm getting into a tent and I'm staying there mm. until six o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning, because I'm going to get up and there's going to be an amazing sunrise, mm. and you're going to set out again, and you're going to be coming across the most, you know, the most wonderful people that you meet. I mean, I, I met a gentleman down in Erskine in Scotland. And he was doing some repairs to an old lifeboat that he'd bought, mm. and he said, "Would you like to come and have a cup of coffee? You know, so mm. jump on board, sit there." The next thing, he's a professional artist, and the whole of the boat inside is covered in his wonderful pictures of his artwork. And you just start talking about that, and and you just realise how amazing people are, and how you know, it's just every single day people are so different. The writers, as at the musicians. The violin players that I've Mm. met, unbelievable, Mm. absolutely
0: unbelievable. So how has it altered you? Because it's an absolutely life-changing experience. I mean, I didn't quite realise. I knew you'd be interesting to talk to, but I'm really blown away. How has it changed your perception of life? It must have done
1: it definitely is done. I mean, I spent sort of three decades working in the legal profession and, you know, you get into that. I know it's it's a bit of a cliche expression, the rat race, but it mm. is, mm. you know, you you go to work each day, you you pay the mortgage and you end up coming home from work late. It's making tea, you know, and then it's the next thing, it's bedtime and you're up mm. again. the next It's a rut, exactly the aren't
0: same you? Thing. I mean, talk about walking metaphors, you know, you're in the rut and, and you on that walk are just out you know, with the wind Out behind of it, you. Totally.
1: Mm. Exactly, and I just think when you went into a profession when you were younger, you were expected to go into it for life and things, and nobody ever spoke about maybe going on a journey like this or doing something that's outside the box, so to speak. Mm. So. Mm. To have this wonderful experience, to be able to, you know, be with Mark, who's engaged so much with it, it's just absolutely life-changing from my point of view. It increases your confidence significantly, Mm. you know, to be able to meet so many different people from so many different backgrounds and engage with them and talk to them all day. And you discover so much about people. It's changed me significantly. And I never want to go back mm. to the person that I was before. I'm outside now all the time. I'm doing things all the time. I can't sit still. I'm painting, which I've never did before. I've, I have started drawing and painting since since I started walking, just sketches initially. But now looking at watercolours. I love photography. And that's all as a result of the walk. I'd had no interest in it previously. I love writing, which I didn't do before in any great shape or form. So it's given me so many different channels, you know, to be able to come home and progress my life further. And, you know, from my husband's point of view, never once did he think he'd be sitting on BBC Breakfast TV Mm, (laughs) mm, talking mm. about his mum and dad. And Mm. he says to me, I see my mum and dad on a picture in a magazine, he says, I'm thinking, they'd be so just, he said, to see that they actually made the magazines, you know. Mm. What a what a wonderful legacy from them. Absolutely. For their point of view.
0: A- absolutely.
1: Had you done anything like this before? I mean, you must have been
0: very active. You couldn't suddenly, I was going to ask you about your preparations for it, you know, to get relatively fit. Well, pr- really fit, I would have thought, before you set up, you know, embarked on yeah. it.
1: I did, when Kingsley passed away, I walked from John O'Groats to Land's End mm. to raise money for Alzheimer's. And that took me 66 days. And that was the seed, really, for the big walk because... It was walking down through Britain centrally. And I think, you know, I when I got to Cornwall, I loved walking the coastal path so much. I thought, right, well, next time, let's try and incorporate some walks around the coast. So mm. that's what really was the seed for the for the big walk. But I've also, you know, walked the Office like Path in Wales, which is the border, you know, from north to south Wales a couple of times. It, walking's great for you. I mean, to get out every day and just to walk a few miles. And I think from the listener's point of view, I have been joined every day by so many people i was met i met a lady called glenda down in in eastbourne mm. and she she said i can only walk a mile with you she said i'm you know i'm nearly 80 years old oh, 13 goodness. miles later what? <laughs> 13 God. miles later she's still walking with me and she said she didn't even notice that she'd walk because we talked the whole time and then suffolk charlie who'd been in lockdown he's 79 his partner had run up and said can Charlie walk with you for the day and I said oh I'd be delighted you know mm. and he did he walked with me from Old Harwich to Manningtree in Essex mm. and at the end of the day he said I love that and he said can I come out tomorrow and for the uh, next four days wow. he'd drive out, you know come out on the bus mm. and then go home again and from his point of view he just loved the experience of, of getting outside and the radio stations would ring in the afternoon and he'd have a little kip on the seat <laughs> while I was on the radio and then right are we off again he <laughs> said I said yeah <laughs> We're off again, Charlie. We had wonderful weather and he had a, a great experience and I absolutely love spending time with him. And it was that with every single person I ever walked with, which are hundreds.
0: Honestly, your story is, I think you'll have publishers beating your door down. And I have to say, Karen, as we sort of draw to a close now, but it's changed your life, but I think you've changed a lot of other people's lives as well, without getting too sort of flighty about it. But, I mean, how incredible. And just by that simple act in a way, of putting one foot in front of the other. Just mm-hmm. so simple. We could all do it. And what a what an achievement.
1: So We, we can all do it. We can all do it. It's that old adage of the dream, believe, achieve. Anybody mm. can do mm. anything. Mm. I mean, I'm just a normal, mm. ordinary person. I don't have any military background. I'm not a professional athlete or anything. I'm just an ordinary person getting out, putting the rucksack on, making all the mistakes. You know, I hardly carry the thing for the first few weeks. I had so much stuff in it that I had to go home. Oh, really? But you learn mm. as you go along. Mm. And I just loved it. And I loved every single person that I met. And the support has been wonderful. And it is. I can't thank, and if anybody listening, <laughs> I can't thank everybody enough who's helped me on my journey because it's made such a difference.
0: Well, I think we all say a, a huge, huge thank you to you. It's absolutely fabulous what you've done and all the very best of luck with your next walk, well, with everything, with your talking, your speaking circuit that I know you're going to be doing and all your work you do in schools and your walk for next year and your book, which I think will be absolutely unmissable. I will be out there getting a copy. Um, Thank you. No, no, absolutely brilliant. So thank you very much for sparing the time and for standing still for long enough to talk to me. It was just wonderful. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you.
0: People are wonderful. Karen Penny's enthusiasm for life, her energy and passion are infectious. And in her 10 and thousand mile walk around the UK, she's not only raised awareness of an incredible charity, but lifted the spirits of countless strangers. And what's more, she's done it during not one, but two national lockdowns. Speaking to Karen showed me once again why I do what I do. Dementia itself is a cruel condition, there's no doubt about it, and it can bring out terrible, uncharacteristic emotions and behavior in people, altering their brains, changing their personalities so that their loved ones barely know them. But it can also paradoxically bring out the best in us imperfect humans. I find this again and again in my dementia work. Individuals go the extra mile 10,000 in Karen's case, to help others, to make our blue planet a better place. It's wonderful to see and I feel very, very lucky and immensely privileged to get to talk to the Karens of this world. It's not about me, she says. It's about other people. It's about people living with dementia. It's about all those who put so much love and patience into caring for people with dementia. It's about all the families with the responsibility of looking after them. And so, for all those living with dementia and their families, for Alma and Kingsley, Karen pulled on her boots, slung her racksack over her back and strode out to help find a cure, walking into hundreds, given the reach of the broadcast media, thousands of lives and everyone responded. They put her up for the night, brought her breakfast, erected tents, walked alongside her and donated because of this one single Extraordinary woman, £126,000. You can still donate to Alzheimer's Research UK via Karen's Just Giving page. Just visit her Facebook page, Karen Penny, The Penny Rolls On, Walking Britain and Ireland. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast. And then together, perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge and quash the myths surrounding dementia.